Wow, good morning. It's a cold, cloudy day, isn't it? All right, let's try it again. Good morning. Oh, good. Hey, I feel just like you do. By the way, I do not have the gift of prophecy. I need to let you know that because I picked Stephen up at high school this week. I told him on the way home, we've seen the last of the snow for this year. And uh, we were having breakfast this morning. He loves to remind me when I miss things. So he said, don't think that's true, Dad. Uh, the series coming up is the big one. I'm telling you, I, I, about a year and a half ago, I was reading something Jesus said, a story he, he said. And when I put the Bible down, I realized what he was saying is we, we could double our impact. And so I started working on that series, and, and uh, I've been talking to people about it for a year and a half, friends all over the country. I've been saying this is just really, really huge. I don't know if, about you, but if I ever real think to myself that I've left money on the table in a deal, that will, that will keep me awake at night. Does that bother you? If I've made a car deal and I've left money on the table or a home deal or whatever. Uh, but let me just tell you this. There's nothing as bad as leaving life on the table. You know, leaving impact on the table. So if, if you would like to know what the principles are to double your impact, uh, whether we're talking about in your family or even in your business, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I hope that all of you will become Christ followers if you haven't already become. But even if you were here and you would say, I don't know that I'll ever follow Christ, this will still be a tremendously beneficial series because we're going to take the principles of Jesus, learn how to double our impact in the world. And, and that, that's just really important to me. Maybe it's just an age thing, but I think I've always been like this. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I could have done a lot more. I could have made a lot more difference. And so if making a difference is important to you and you really, really cherish it, I think you're going to love this series. I am doing something I've never done before. I've thought about it many times. But what happens on the weekend is I'll take about three or four hours of material and then condense it down to about 35 or 40 minutes. And I always leave a lot of things that don't make it. Uh, what we're doing with U times 2 is we're actually doing a journal in which I'm writing. It feels like I'm writing a book, to be honest with you, but I'm writing 29 separate installments of, of principles, many of which won't make the, the weekend, but they're just huge, huge stuff. And it'll be a daily journal where you can like chart your own journey. And then there's a prayer at the end of each day that, will, that you can pray that will draw you closer to doubling your impact. This is huge stuff. I don't say that because I'm communicating it. I drew it directly to G from Jesus. This, this is something that Jesus laid down. It is huge. It is about doubling your impact. I'll just say this and I'll get off the topic. But our culture as Americans has become, could I say it, a little bit soft. And, and we, we've sort of been televisionized. I don't know if that's a word or not. But, you know, it's like I can be a success and just sort of fall into it. That's not the way life works, guys. There are some things that you can do that will actually shake you loose from where you are and help you double your impact. So if you've ever thought that there might be more to you, if you've ever craved the next level, I promise you, you're going to love U times two. Lance will tell you at the end of the service how you can pre-purchase uh, the journal. We have a limited amount, and they've been selling too fast, and so we'll, hopefully we may even try to get some more if we can. But it's going to be a really, really important series. Uh, also, too, while we're doing U times two, there's like a little side thing that's called us times two because we as a church are about to build a building that will double our kids' space. So for all you parents and grandparents who love New Spring, not only are we going to be taking these principles, employing them in our daily lives, we're going to be taking these principles and using them as a church with us times two. One more thing, and I'll get to my talk. See, I'm sitting here to show you that I haven't started yet. So for all of you who start timing me, I just want you to know I haven't really got started yet. 
I did a wedding this, I did a wedding a few weeks ago, and the best man, uh, I don't know, sure he was a real church guy, and so he didn't like long weddings like I don't like long weddings, and uh, he said he timed me, and from the moment I started till the time I pronounced the bride and groom husband and wife, it was 13 minutes. He was very impressed with that. So um, <laughs> for those of you who time, I haven't gotten started yet, okay? Uh, next weekend, of course, is Easter. We'll be having many, many guests, and so for those of you who normally attend 11 o'clock, and you're a new springer, and, and you're, 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 part of our, you're part of our family, I'd like to ask you to consider something, if you don't mind. We're adding an additional service on Saturday night. Uh, if you could make either one of those services an option, as you can tell, we're probably not going to be ready to receive our Easter crowd, right, at 11 o'clock like this. So if you could, if you could make that transition for us, it'd be huge. You would, you would make the opportunity for many more to worship, and you'll probably have a much easier time getting out of the parking lot next week than you would at 11 o'clock. So just think about that. And you say, well, Mark, 11 o'clock is when I have to come. That's fine. If you guys can continue to come, but if some of you who have, if it's an option for you, it would sure, sure make a big difference for us. Okay, you ready for me to start the sermon? I'm going to walk up here to signify that that's about to happen. <laughs> I talk about a lot of things that I hope are always beneficial to you. I talk about marriage, I talk about family, career, I talk about personal development issues, and there's a place for all those things because this book talks to us a lot about how to grow in our lives. But at the end of the day, isn't it true that we're only going to live in this life for a short time and we're going to live in eternity forever? And so today, on Palm Sunday, I would like to just do something today. It's not, I'm, I'm not even sure you could call this a sermon. I want to talk to you about Jesus. That's all I want to talk about today. I'm not going to talk about how to have a better life, how to double your impact. I just want to talk with you for a few moments about Jesus. And my title, as you can see in your worship folder, is Who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because it's so important. In fact, it's totally important. When the Bible talks about how to go to heaven, it gives us one single message, and it's short, and it's unbelievably simple. It's the word believe. Interesting, because if I talk to most people and ask them, do you feel like you're going to heaven? Probably most people would say yes. Then the second question is, well, why do you feel like you're going to heaven? What's the answer I'm going to get? I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good. I treat my neighbors well. I'm pretty nice. I cut my grass. I pay my taxes. I'm not a serial killer. I think I'm really a pretty, pretty good person. And I'm going to heaven because I'm a nice person. Did you realize that the message of the Bible is totally opposite to that? In fact, the message of this book is so very clear that if that's what a person is thinking, they're not on their way to heaven because they missed it. Others might say, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I have been part. They might not use the term religious system, but it would be tantamount to that. They would say, well, my parents had me baptized when I was a baby, so therefore I was covered by the church and by God. Or I've joined a church. Or somebody could say, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a member of New Spring." I volunteer my time. I give my money. I am very serious about following God. And yet the Bible says that if any of those things are our reason for why we're going to heaven, we've screwed it up. We've messed it up. We've, we've missed it. What does the Bible say over and over? In fact, I I'm just so amazed how many times it gives us this one message. So simple. What does the Bible say about the way to go to heaven? One word, believe. Believe. Going to heaven is not doing works, it's believing a message. Isn't that, isn't that peculiar? 
I mean, couldn't we just all agree with that for a moment? Could we unscrew our halos? And couldn't we just like back away from that and, and if, look at this from maybe a, a non-religious perspective? But, but, but couldn't we just back away for a moment and say that is an odd thing that the most important possession that you and I could have, which is everlasting life, isn't it strange that it's all about believing a message? Let me give you a few examples of that. In John 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, the Bible says, God so loved us, he sent his one and only son into the world, that whoever believes in him would not perish, go to hell, but have everlasting life, whoever believes. There was a, a, a guy that Paul, Paul was ministering to. In fact, he was a jailer, and Paul was arrested for preaching, and this jailer had been responsible for leaving stripes on Paul's back. And yet, at that night, in the middle of the night, an earthquake came, opened up the jail, and the prisoners were all about to escape. And, and, and Paul told the jailer, don't kill yourself because Roman law would require that he replace the lives of the, of the prisoners that were lost with his own life. Paul said, don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And, and so the guy just, he, at that point, he was just overwhelmed because he had had enough encounter with Paul. He'd learned, listened to Paul pray and sing. He knew that Paul had something he didn't have. And he, this jailer, this guy that wasn't even from a religious culture, he got on his knees and he said to Paul, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul said in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible says whoever believes in him has life. John 3 says whoever doesn't believe in him doesn't have life. Believe, believe, believe. John 5, 24, he who hears God's message, believes on him who sent him, has everlasting life, will not come into condemnation, but is already passed from death unto life. John 6, 33, over and over and over, the Bible says, believe, believe. If you will confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth that, Jesus is, that God has raised Jesus from the dead and believe in your heart and in your inner person, you will be saved. Believe. Believe, believe. See, here's the deal, guys. I could stand before you and talk about all kinds of good things at New Spring. I could talk about this and I could talk about that. But if I left you without the message of believing, this would all be a waste of time. Because what would it profit a person if they had all their bows tied, their eyes dotted? What would it profit a man or woman if they had everything right in this life and yet missed out on heaven? And God says, heaven is a matter of believing. That is why at New Spring, we don't try to get you, you know, into, in, you know, we don't try to get you into a church culture. We, we want you to know Jesus. That's why every weekend at the end of my talk, I ask you, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I ask you to pray and believe in him. Now, there's a reason why I'm going to take a weekend and just talk about Jesus today. I don't know what you see in our culture, but Jesus is growingly unpopular in our world today. That is not a surprise. In fact, sometimes I'll, I'll be asked to bring an invocation to some public meeting, and, and they will say something to me like this. They will say, we would like for you to pray a non-sectarian prayer. Do you know what non-sectarian prayer means? It means don't say Jesus' name. Well, my whole life is bound up in him. That would be like saying... Mark, we would like to have you be here, but do not bring your wife or do not bring your kids. We just don't want to, we want to just keep them out of this. Well, how can I leave my wife out? Of, she's, the, she's the love of my life. How can I deny my kids? But most of all, how can I deny Jesus? Because he's the one who died for me. But it's like pray a non-sectarian prayer because we don't want anything, anybody to feel that you're exclusivist in your, in your thinking. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, inferred in that is that there are many religions in the world, and people have various views, and Jesus is a good guy, but let's just put him on the shelf with everybody else. That, my friends, in our politically correct culture, is an eternally fatal mistake. If this book is true. Because you could say, well, Mark, I'm going to walk out of here. I don't believe a word you say. Well, that's fine. But I, I, am, I am telling you this, whether, whether you accept it or not, this is what the Bible says. And you may say, well, the Bible's a crock. And, and, I, and I understand that. But I'm saying if this book is true, it is a fundamentally fatal, fatal mistake to put Jesus in there with everybody else. This happened on the day. If the word transfiguration means something to you, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, well, let me just give you a little synopsis of this. When Jesus was on the earth, he had called 12 guys to be his, to be his gang and to teach them and to get them ready. They were the beginnings of the church. They were watching what he did. They were apprenticing unto Jesus. And so there was a time, I think, when, quite honestly, I think these 12 guys had let familiarity breed commonness. And so Jesus took three of the 12, Peter, James, and John, up on top of a mountain. And while he was there, God did something. He basically pulled away sort of the veil. I mean, Jesus was veiled in human flesh. We'll talk about that later. But God let them see him in his glory for just a few moments. And up on top of this mountain, all of a sudden, not only is it Jesus there, but Moses and Elijah are there. We won't talk about this today, but the fact that Moses and Elijah are there, it does let us know that after we die, we're still going to be who we are. Moses was still Moses. Elijah was still Elijah. But Moses and Elijah were there. They were just hanging with Jesus and talking because, after all, Jesus, he didn't begin in Bethlehem. As we'll see later, he's been here forever. And so Jesus and Moses are just hanging out, and Jesus and Elijah are talking. And Peter and James and John are just blown away because all their lives in church, they've heard about Moses and Elijah, and they've read, you know, the stories about the, the Israelites, and they've heard about Elijah. And all of a sudden, man, there they are right there in front of them. And Peter shoots off his mouth, and he says what's politically popular today. Peter said, this is cool. That's in the Texas translation. You will find that there. (laughs) Peter said, this is cool. I love this. We need to stay here. And it's just so cool to see Jesus and Moses and Elijah. We need to build like three little huts up here so that they can just hang together. One hut for Moses, one hut for Elijah, and one hut for Jesus because he sort of saw Jesus as being, like a lot of people see him today, on an equal plane with those guys. And frankly, again, in the Texas translation, that is when the voice from heaven came and said, shut up, Peter. Exactly. He said, this is my son. In effect, what God was saying is Moses was a prophet and a leader, and Elijah was a prophet, but don't build three tabernacles and just put Jesus in the middle of one. Jesus is my son. This is all about him. So who is Jesus? I'd like to take you now in the book of Matthew to the story of when Jesus came into our world. And and excuse me, my mistake, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, verse 9, the Bible says Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. The, uh, praise God there is a word that's, or an expression that means, that's often translated Hosanna. Praise God or save us for the son of David. Blessings, remember this expression, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And here's the title for today's talk. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, is Jesus the prophet? 
Now, let me just tell you a question that I've had in my mind ever since I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, because like many of you, I went to church on Palm Sunday, and the teachers would, would show me this picture of, of Jesus riding into town, into Jerusalem on a donkey. This was the Sunday before his crucifixion. He would ride into the city on a donkey, and people were like taking their jackets off and, and making a carpet for Jesus to ride on, and they would strip palm leaves off and put those palm branches on the ground. And Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. And, and they would tell us, the teachers would tell us in church about how all the crowds were celebrating. They were saying, Hosanna. Uh, and, and they were giving Jesus credit. And they, it was like this pep rally. It was like this great, you know, they were treating Jesus like a rock star, basically. And, and here was my question, because I'm like a six-year-old kid sitting there, and I'm thinking, no, no wait a minute now. Because you're telling me he rode into the city on Sunday, and on Friday they nailed him on a cross. Where were all these people? When Jesus was crucified, all these people that were saying, yeah, I mean, because after all, doesn't the Bible make it pretty clear that when Jesus died on the cross, there was just like this little hand, I mean, the, the, you know, most of the disciples ran off, basically about the only people who were at the foot of the cross were some ladies, because after all, oftentimes when the chips are down, women have more courage than men sometimes. There were some women at the, at the foot of the cross, and then, you know, Jesus' mother, and John, it seems to be the only, only man that followed Jesus who was there. I always, I'm sitting in Sunday school and I'm thinking, my goodness, where were all these people who were yelling Hosanna? And then one day, the nasty truth dawned on me. And so many of the people who were crying Hosanna on Sunday were part of the crowd that were crying crucify him on Friday. They missed him. He was there. God was in their world. The very Son of God was riding on a donkey coming in in what we call the triumphal entry. And, and here's the deal. Guys, I, 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 this is the first time I've used this word and the third time I've talked this weekend. I think I finally settled on the word because I was trying to come up with the word that would, that would communicate how they missed him or why they missed him. They were conflicted. They were conflicted. Because if you look back in Matthew, when we, where we read a moment ago, they, they call him the son of David. That was an expression that was meant to refer to the Messiah. Now, who is the Messiah? God had promised, as we're going to see in a few moments, God had promised in the very beginning that after man sinned, after, after we needed a Savior, God said, I'm going to bring my person into the world. He is going to be the solution for all the issues. They would call this person the son of David because he was... He was a part of the family of David, and, and he would be a future king. So when people saw Jesus riding in on the donkey, they said, Son of David. If there was a period right there, it would have been a great experience. They would have celebrated their king. It would have been a marvelous thing. But after they got into Jerusalem, and, and, and historians tell us there were probably about 2.7 million people in the city of Jerusalem. It would be like if you crammed the entire population of the state of Kansas into Wichita, maybe even worse than that. All these people were there to celebrate the Passover that week. And so when, when this entourage, when all this, all, this, you know, all this procession, when it got into town, all these 2.7 million people in the city of Jerusalem, they were all scratching their heads saying, what's going on here? And they saw this man riding on a donkey, and they said, who is this? And then they choked. The answer came back, he's that preacher from Nazareth. Oh, man. At first they said, Ah, we think he's the Messiah. But then when it got down to choices, they said, we think he's that preacher. In other words, they, they backed off a little bit. 
And we're living in a world today that's wrestling with that same issue. Like I said, I get asked to pray a non-sectarian prayer. Don't use Jesus' name. By the way, I never answer that. I never honor that request. First of all, I'd like to get my prayer answered. I just don't have any interest in being in some sort of religious window dressing at some sort of community event. I'm going to talk to God. I mean business. There's another reason. When John wrote in the, in the epistle of 1 John, that's a, it's a book pretty close to the end of the Bible. John was now an elderly man. Now, I talked about him being at the cross a few moments ago. By now, he's an elderly man. He's pastor of the church at Ephesus, and God is giving him a message, and 1 John is just this marvelous book. But John said this. He said, there is an, a spirit of Antichrist coming. Now, when, when, we, when I use the term Antichrist, many of us, we're going to think about the omen, or we're going to think about you know, the, the left-behind books or something. There is a person coming who is the counterfeit Messiah. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what John was talking about. He said there's a spirit of Antichrist. In other words, there's an attitude that doesn't want to give Christ his props. There's an attitude that doesn't want to recognize him for who he is. And John indicated this. He indicated that when we got close to the end time, he said that's going to be exacerbated. It's going to grow. And I, I, I communicate this talk to you today because I really believe that in the times that you and I are living in, more and more as we go forward, I think Jesus Christ is going to become less and less popular. And I think there will be people who will be putting pressure on you and me, people who follow Christ, to say, well, don't present him as the way. But on the other hand, the Bible tells me over and over to believe in him. What happens to me if I, in order, in order to be politically correct, what happens to me if I deny who Jesus is in order to be popular, but the message is believe in him? Well, that certainly happened with, with those people. And, and see, here's the deal. These people were conflicted, and what a shame that they were conflicted because they had all these, these statements about who Jesus is in the Bible. In Psalm 118, a thousand years before Jesus was born, David wrote down this what we call part of the Hillel. It's Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And every year at Passover, the Jews would sing these songs. And they, they, they would start the song by saying, or, or part of this part of the song by saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Now, we as Christ followers, we say that about every day. But that's not what the psalm is about. In other words, they looked forward to a specific day, and they said, this is the day that God has crafted. In other words, whatever's happening on this day is something so wonderful. God has done something extraordinary in our world. Well, when you look later on in Psalm 118, in verse 26, what, what, was, what was it that was said about this person who was coming? Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's exactly what the people said when Jesus came in on the back of the donkey in, in Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 said it's another chapter about or another scripture about when Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. It says, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So all these scriptures have been given about when Jesus would ride in. I mean, Zechariah wrote 500 years before Jesus was born. Zechariah saying this is going to be a wonderful day. The Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, which is kind of interesting. Because triumphal entries were part of the culture in Jesus' day. Rome ruled the world. Roman emperors, Roman generals would ride into a town on a horse, a fast animal, signifying that their purpose there was to conquer. Jesus didn't ride in on a horse because he wasn't coming to conquer. He came in on a donkey, signifying that he was there to bring salvation. But therein lay the issue. 
I mean, if you were to go back in time to that day on the triumphal entry, why did those people turn on Jesus? Why did they change from yelling Hosanna to yelling crucify him? And here's a simple answer. They wanted Jesus to be a conquering military hero that would throw Rome off their backs. They just didn't, listen to this please, they just didn't see the value of somebody dying for their sins. Could that be you and me? Is Jesus okay as long as, you know, he's just a, a lead leader or a teacher or telling us stuff like we're going to learn in U times 2? I mean, is it great to just get his principles and leverage them and use them in life? Or is he more than that? Well, for the next few moments, I just want to take us through some Bible. Because after all, this is our way of knowing about who Jesus is. I want to do two things. I want to take us back to when the prophets were telling us that he was coming, and then I want to take us to the book of John, and I want to look at what God said about him after he got here, okay? So just for a few moments, let's, let's take our Bibles and look at that. First of all, if you have your Bibles and you want to look, you can open them to Genesis chapter 3. Look, here's the situation. Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've just become sinners. They're just under God's condemnation, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, they passed it down to you and me. So at this point, they have broken God's rule. They're sinners before God. And God is like talking to Adam. And God has said, Adam, life's going to get more difficult because you've, you've, you've chosen the dark side. He looked at Eve and said, Eve, it's going to get more difficult because you've chosen the dark side. And now God is addressing Satan. And this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That, and he's talking there, of course, about Eve specifically, but in, in the long range, he's talking about what he would do in the future. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. Now, here's the thing. Look at that verse one more time. He, and again, it says, you know, I mean, it, it's just marvelous to me. There are only two people in the world at this time, Adam and Eve, and God is saying, I'm going to bring my solution to the world. It will not be a system. It will be a person. I love that. Let's look a little bit further in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, the Bible tells us that when Jesus came, he was going to bring the solution for sin. 750 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah writes as though he were standing at the foot of the cross watching it happen. Isaiah said, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left, left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah was saying someday God is going to send his solution into the world and God will put our sins upon his back. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. I love this one. Malachi wrote 500 years before Jesus was born, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. I mean, God has been saying, he's coming, he's coming. He's going to bear our sins. He's going to overcome Satan. And then Malachi said he's going to come with healing in his wings. I think there that what Malachi wasn't, he wasn't talking about wings like angels have wings or like birds have wings. Wings were like the, the fringes of a person's garment, robe. And Isaiah, I mean, Malachi wrote that when, when, when God sends his person into the world, he's going to come with healing even in the, the fringes of his robe. Boy, you talk about somebody who got it right. There was a woman in Jesus' day who had a hemorrhage of blood, and she was dying, and she had spent all of her money on, money on doctors and couldn't get well. And one day Jesus was in her town, and, and the crowd was big. You remember what she said? She said, if I can just touch the edge of his robe, I will be healed. Because she'd read Malachi and knew that when he came, he would come with healing in the fringes of his robe. 
All these verses. I mean, throughout Scripture, God kept saying, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. Not only was He coming, the Bible said, to be the Savior for our sin, but also the, the coming King. What a shame that they missed Him. It would be a shame if we missed Him. Let me read to you real quickly what John says about him in John's Gospel, chapter 1. Because whatever happens today, and I'm running out of time, whatever happens, I don't want you to walk away and not know what God says about Jesus. Because somebody could say, well, Mark, I know about Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He was just a guy. And then God, like, elevated him to God's status. No, Jesus was not a man who became God. He was God who became human. In John, chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with the word with there is the Greek word prosopon, which means face-to-face. In an Eastern culture, a person of higher rank could never be face-to-face with somebody of lower rank. And yet the Bible says that before the world ever existed, Jesus, or the person we know as Jesus, was face-to-face with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before there was ever anything, before there was ever a beginning, the Son of God was God Himself. Verse 2, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And now verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. That's the story of Jesus. God became human. He came into our world wearing a skin face. And why did he do that? He did it because he needed to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. I could be talking to somebody and you could say, Mark, I'm going to pay for my sin. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what that would take. The Bible says this at one place. God does not want anyone to go to hell. God is not willing that anyone should perish is the actual wording. God doesn't want a single person in hell. He didn't make hell for people. He made hell for Satan and his demons. And so God sent his son into the world to die. And the way God looked at it, here's the exciting thing. All your sins were placed on Jesus so that all his goodness could be given to you as a gift. I'd like to take you in closing to John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and you want to look at it with me, I just want to read these wonderful words from the Bible. For God, verse 16, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I'll tell you, if I go to one more stinking movie where somebody's talking about saving a planet, I'm going to throw up. I tried to find a better word there. There is only one person who ever saved the planet, and his name is Jesus. There is no, now this is just great, guys, because somebody can say, well, Mark, I don't feel like I, I should go to heaven because I'm a sinner. Look at this, verse 19 says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Mark, somebody could say, I'm afraid to die because I'm afraid I will go to hell. Do you believe on Jesus? If so, what does God's word say? The Bible says there is no indictment against anyone. You don't know what I've done. I know what anyone means. There is no judgment against anyone who believes 
in him. Do you see why I would take a whole weekend just to talk about Jesus? Because quite candidly, if you take Jesus out, throw this away. It's worthless. But with Jesus, life's worth living. I'm going to ask you to pray with me just for a moment because it could be that somebody's here today and you're saying, Mark, I I really get it. I've grown up in church or maybe I've talked to religious people, but for the first time I really get it. It's about, about a relationship with Jesus. And if you would like to pray to receive him, because the Bible says whoever calls on his name. See, if you believe in him, it's just logical. It's a logical next step to invite him to become your savior. And maybe you're ready to do that today. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but they are prayer, a prayer that reaches out to Jesus. And if you want to pray this prayer with me, that'd be wonderful. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong. But I know you came into the world to pay for my sin. I believe in you. I believe your blood paid for my sin. I believe you arose from your grave. And today I'm inviting you to be my savior. Today I'm accepting you as my king. I receive your forgiveness. I receive everlasting life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember when I said Jesus paid it all, would outweigh everything else in my life? The decision you just made outweighed everything else. Whatever has happened to you, will happen to you. The most important decision of your life. I will say this. I know it happened very quickly. We've prepared a gift here at New Spring for anyone who prays to invite Christ into their lives. Just some DVDs and cool stuff that will help you take your first steps in knowing God and, and, and living your life with him. It's a gift. It won't cost you anything. If you just prayed to receive Christ, if you will, would you take your worship folder? Part of it's detachable. If you will, detach that part. And if, you, if you'd like to receive this gift, if you prayed to receive Christ, just put your name and address on there. Check the box that says you prayed to receive Christ. I know we're crowded this morning, so if you want to, you can just drop it in the offering bags. If you do, I'll mail this to you this week. Or you can drop it also in the boxes in the back. And, and I will, again, I'll mail it to you. But if you have just a few extra minutes, I know it's going to be congested out there today. But if you have a few extra minutes, if you just prayed to receive Christ, you can actually bring your card back to guest services or New Spring Store. And you don't have to make a speech or anything. They won't ask you any tough questions. All you got to do is just say, I prayed with Mark, and they will give this to you. We want you to know Jesus and know what he's all about. Guys, thank you for being here. And this just a great message that God loves us so much that he gave away what was most precious so that we could be with him forever. I just don't know that I ever get tired of communicating that message.